Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Hugh, great to be able to see and get, get caught up with you again. I, you know, it's amazing to me how much I'm, I'm learning. I'm, I'm really missing so many people. So it's great to continue the relationships. So, so thank you. You're welcome. It's nice to be with you, Catherine. Always is, and it certainly is now. Thank you. Um, so, you know, I think uh, my viewers so know you and recognize you and, and appreciate your thoughts and, and kind of big picture thinking. And there's obviously a lot going on with the markets. The market's certainly acting a little bit more defensive lately, really kind of concerned about the inflation outlook and whether it's transitory or not. I think that's number one on ter in terms of everyone's mindset. So why don't you give us your views in terms of that key, key metric that we're watching? Well, you, you mentioned the number one thing, which is the markets are starting to get edgy and it starts to show up in the performance of some of the so-called defensive sectors, the things that do well uh, when the markets are in a bear market, but don't do well in a bull market. And they're actually starting to do a little bit better. So there's no question investors are starting to get a little bit edgy. You see it also in the performance of small capitalization stocks. Uh, they're not doing well compared to mid and large capitalization stocks. Again, investors getting a little bit edgy. And also some of the quality spreads in the credit markets, the, the spread or the difference between, a, say, an investment bond, an investment grade bond, or even a junk bond and a treasury, that's starting to open up a little bit. All signs that investors are getting a little bit edgy, Catherine. And they're getting edgy for good reason. They're getting edgy because there are certainly signs that inflation is certainly higher uh, we saw the numbers on consumer prices and producer prices uh, really, really surprised and I think scared a lot of people. And uh, the worry is that's going to persist well beyond 2021 into 2022. And in response, the Federal Reserve will have no choice but to start to raise interest rates. And uh, I don't buy that. But nevertheless, that's certainly the concern. And that's the reason why we see the markets starting to get edgy and starting to perform in a somewhat defensive manner. And so Hugh, why don't you buy that? Why don't you think that the US Federal Reserve is going to be behind the curve and have to play catch up and therefore raise rates? Because that is what the market is, is kind of thinking they will have to do. Yeah, and you know why that's such a good question, Catherine? And that's because uh, historically the Federal Reserve has been behind the curve at stock market peaks or at the peak of an economic cycle and a stock market cycle. Um, yeah, you better believe it. That's a, that's, a, that's a big issue. The reason I don't believe that is because I look really carefully at the inflation numbers. And if you see the inflation numbers, if you look carefully at them, you'll see it's the things that were suffering the most during the uh, so-called lockdowns or the times we closed up the U.S. economy, leisure and hospitality, airlines, for example, airlines fares taking a, a very significant increase, increases in hotels, whether you're being charged at hotels. All of those kinds of things are where we see the inflation numbers for the month of April, consumer inflation numbers for the month of April, uh, pick up a lot and give us the big numbers that we saw for the month of April. When you take a look beyond that, the things that were not generally caught up in the uh, pandemic, 
you start, you don't see the increases uh, uh, that you do see in some of those numbers. So I think in time, this is gonna dissipate, in time we're gonna get all of those, uh, those, uh, those really near-term price increases behind us, and you're gonna see much more modest month-to-month uh, -month numbers in the consumer price index, and the year-over-year -year comparisons are gonna improve. What am I saying specifically? We may be three and a half percent to four percent numbers as we move through 2021, but when we get to 2022, I think the year-over-year -year numbers are going to go back down to say 2.2 to 2.5 percent. The Federal Reserve calls it transitory. I call it transitory, and they'll be able to hold the line on keeping short-term interest rates right where they are as we move through 2021 and 2022, because they know that's ahead, and I know that's ahead, and I'm really quite frank, I'm confident that that's where we're headed. You can be, I can be wrong, but I think that's where we're headed. Okay, so really important for everyone to understand that the reason why, to your point, the inflation numbers look higher is because of the comparisons year over year. And that yes. once we get into 2022, that goes to the sidelines. The other aspect though, that we should talk about is what we're seeing in some of the commodities, lumber as an example, um, you know, there's different aspects to why those prices are higher, but but part of it as well, when we think about um, manufacturing and facilities, they were shut down a year ago. So again, right. is, is are you making the same analogy that that's yes, why? Okay. Yes, I am. I'm saying that it's true of lumber prices and a lot of other prices. I'm sure that you see uh, the general over uh, the general increase in commodity prices. That's all going to dissipate. I think it's going to be a surprise, but it's going to all dissipate as we move into the late summer and the fall. So you're going to see commodity prices, in my view, uh, start to come down. So when we start to see those price increases that were largely related to and driven by the pandemic start to come down, you're going to be looking at better month-to-month -month numbers, and we're headed towards the comparisons will be much better, easier, shall we say, as we move into 2022. The year-over-year -year comparisons, you know, when you start to see 2.2% year-over-year instead of 4%, that's going to change everything. And so I think that's where we're headed. Okay. So, um, but right now the market is really questioning this and, and whether or not the Fed is going to be right and that this is going to be transitory. Um, and, you know, my mom watched one of my interviews the other day and, and my mom's 85. She has her MBA from Shulak uh, back in the 70s. And she said to me, you know, some of it's too in the weeds. And I said, mom, it's not really in the weeds. You know, you just have to kind of listen to the whole conversation. So, But I'm going to go a little bit into the weeds here because um, I think it's important for viewers to understand how powerful money flow is. In other words, when we see these gyrations in the market or a bit of a sell-off, my question to you, Hugh, because you have to be able to stick to your belief and your theme. And that's hard when you see your favorite stocks pull back 4% or what have you. So when we see these moves or the past week in the market, who do you think they are? I mean, it, do you think it's the big money managers? Is it the hedge funds, quant funds, um, retail investor? In other words, the moves aren't backed by any volume. All of this is important so you don't get scared and leave the market, or you do get scared and leave the market. You know, we've had a number of things happen. Uh, first of all, we had a pretty big move up in stock prices, and we had some valuation concerns. And those valuation concerns are you know, largely, you know, large institutional investors started to line up and say, we're really worried that we've come too far too fast and we've got some valuation worries or concerns. 
The, the, the second thing is, of course, what I mentioned before, which is that you start to see the performance of small investors, but some large investors start to shift towards defense in the markets. Uh, they become concerned. And the one thing I've learned in this business, uh, Catherine, is you never ignore the performance of the markets. The markets always tend to get this right or investors collectively get it right. And when they're telling you or they're sending you a defensive sector, a defensive uh, message, uh, pay attention to it. But the third thing which really bothered me and really got me uh, saying that maybe we're in for a little bit of a more difficult period was, was sentiment. Uh, sentiment was okay last week, but before that, uh, the percentage of those investors, small investors predominantly that were bullish or positive on the stock market got to be a very, very high number. And that's not good news. You don't wanna see something that borders on euphoria or exuberance among small investors. It's usually a signal that we have problems. And that's exactly what I saw. And that's the reason I said, let's play it a little bit tight. Let's play it a little bit easier for now. I think the stock market's gonna give up some ground. And lo and behold, we have given up a little bit of ground. Now, we've moved from being overvalued to being only about two and a half percent undervalued. And you're gonna say, that's not very much. And I agree with you, that's not very much. I think there's more to come on the downside on the, over the near term. And we'll get to levels which are gonna be much more attractive, generally attractive to us as investors. And I'm just crossing my fingers and hope we can get there. And I think we will get there. That's the message of the markets and it's not to be ignored. Very interesting um, to not ignore the market and the market moves. So when where we stand right now, then um, let's talk about where you see further downside and what do you do about it? Yeah, you know, the, the interesting thing is I always I always try to stay away from stuff that is not posting a good performance on a relative basis. At the same time, that's the stuff that's starting to get really cheap and really attractive, even though it's not performing well on a relative basis. The two sectors of the market that are doing that quite clearly are consumer discretionary and technology stocks. Now you're talking about two sectors of the market which have posted earnings that have been nothing short of spectacular. All of the sectors have performed well. They've about 80 to 90% of the companies have been reporting earnings that are above expectations. But we get really, we've got high growth rates in consumer discretionary, high growth rates in technology. We have high price earnings ratios, relatively speaking in those and they're coming down to levels that, in my judgment, make a lot more sense. When this clears, when the air clears, and we start to become a little bit happier, comfortable with, the, we're not going to be uh, seeing really high rates of inflation and really high interest rates. When everybody finally comes up, catches up to that, they're going to look at what really looks attractive. And that's going to be those sectors that came down and got to levels that were really attractive. And that's consumer discretionary and technology. Ask me the question. What performs well in a bull market? Consumer discretionary and technology. I think that's the place that it's gonna be. And the other thing I would say is it's not gonna be the defensive sectors like utilities and staples. That's not where it's gonna be. It's gonna broaden out and I think it'll include, we're seeing it now, be careful, but materials, and that's that commodity move that you were talking about, and industrials. And industrials, of course, probably at the top of the list because we got a lot of infrastructure spending that's gonna go on over the course okay. of the next 10 years. So commodities and industrials, as well as consumer discretionary tech, those are the areas that you want to be overweight in? Yeah, I think so, Catherine. And I think you've got, to, I mentioned four sectors, and I've mentioned four sectors that do well ordinarily in a bull market. But I'm also mentioning four sectors because I think you've really got to recognize things get a little risky at this stage of a bull market. And so you want to make sure you're diversified or broaden out. I think that's what I'm saying. 
the earnings growth rates, you know, compared to 2020, are going to broaden out in 2021 and 2022. They're going to be more companies on a broad basis. They're going to be posting really good earnings in 2022, particularly. And uh, that's where you want to be. You want to broaden out your portfolio. Stay with equities, but broaden it out. So, Hugh, you were saying that um, that you, you chose four sectors because they do well in a bull market, those four, but what else? I'm saying that industrials, materials ordinarily do well in a bull market, along with discretionary and technology stocks. And the important thing I'm saying, I mentioned four sectors because I want investors to diversify their portfolio. I think what's going to happen, the next thing that's going to happen is the earnings numbers, the earnings growth rates, the real winners and the earnings side of things is going to broaden out and include many more sectors. So as it broadens out, I think investors have to have some exposure to more sectors. And those are all bull market sectors that I'm talking about. Does not include things like consumer staples, does not include things like real estate, does not include things like utilities, because they don't ordinarily perform well in a bull market. So I'm really talking about positioning a diversified portfolio for what's ahead for this bull market, which in my judgment, Catherine, has a lot further to go. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. So obviously you think we're in a bull market. So where, uh, yes. are, where, where are we in this? Well, that's a really good question. You know, the, uh, the uh, average duration of bull markets since the Second World War is 63 months. We are now at the 14-month mark. So using some just base, basic common sense, you have to say, hey, we must have further to go. And I would say, based on the performance of the markets, not more recently, but more broadly speaking, I would say, based on the performance of the market with bull market sectors doing well and small capitalization stocks, not recently, but having done well, uh, I think the message of the markets is really clearly we have further to go. And then if you look at some technical stuff, and this mm -hmm. I always like to look at, and stuff like leading indicators for the economy up 10 months out of 11 months. Uh, that's telling you that the economy is going to continue to expand for the foreseeable future, let's say 12 months easily. The yield curve, which we all are tired of talking about, but nevertheless mm -hmm. enables us to quantify the possibility of a recession in the next 12 months. That's down to 5%. When you have leading indicators performing this way, when you have the yield curve giving us that 5% message, it's hard to make any case for the end of this cycle, the stock market economic interest rate cycle. So I would say, particularly looking at history, this one's got further to go. And even if you go back to 1890, Catherine, the average duration or you know, length of bull markets comes out to about 47 months. 14 month mark, don't get chicken yet. Hmm, okay. Um, but um, when we think about you, I mean, it was interesting, you, you brought up the, the strength of the leading indicators. You know, more recently, the U.S. economic data has disappointed. Number one were the jobs numbers. Um, maybe that can be explained away. Uh, the retail sales numbers also disappointed. So what, what do you really think is the true health of the U.S. economy? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, I think April, especially the retail sales numbers and also industrial production and also the employment numbers, you saw those, those were weaker than expected. Uh, from time to time, we get volatility in those numbers. So we got very strong numbers in January in response to the fiscal stimulus that was passed at the end of 2000 and, uh, 2020. And then when we got the uh, March 11th uh, uh, signature of the 1.9 trillion in additional stimulus, we got big numbers in March. So for some, we had weak numbers in February, weak numbers in April, 
largely to offset the surges we saw in January and March. So the numbers are gonna be volatile from month to month. And what you have to do is kind of look through those numbers and try to get an idea of what the trend is. And if you were to ask me, what's the trend? What has it been? What is it gonna be? I would say the trend is the economy is gonna to continue to expand. Uh, whether we're looking at employment or retail sales, consumer spending, it's gonna to continue to expand. But the, the expansion is gonna, just like it did in 2020, it's gonna slow down as we move through the remainder of 2021 and 2022. Uh, the real question then will arise is, is, is this gonna require further stimulus, another boost to the economy? Uh, I'm crossing my fingers saying, I hope not, because I'm not sure that the outcome of the stimulus was all that positive. Nevertheless, positive outcome, We'll go through 2021, 2022, continue to expand, but a slower and slower pace. And when you get back into 2022, Catherine, it's gonna look like the recoveries we saw in 2018 and 2019. Slow stuff, pretty unexciting. Hmm. Um, when we think about the underlying tailwinds to the market, obviously since the financial crisis, it's been the US Federal Reserve, um, lower rates for longer which has allowed valuations to move higher in pretty much every asset class and investment one would want to make, whether it's private equity, venture capital, real estate, stock markets, what have you. Um, you know, that in addition to now we're going to have fiscal stimulus. Uh, what does that mean in, in terms of being a tailwind to the market? Or are we going to see valuations that are just too high. And at some point, it doesn't make sense. Yet you've pointed out to me that we just have so much liquidity, so much cash. It, How does that, these are interesting dynamics. I don't know if we've ever seen them before like this. Uh, no, nothing even close. Uh, the levels of liquidity are um, three times uh, what might be called a normal level of liquidity, which really means the money supply is growing so fast relative to the growth of the economy, that there's an enormous amount of excess liquidity for what? Well, driving the financial markets, and that's exactly what's been driving the financial markets. Investors are almost have no choice but to simply ignore everything and just say there's so much money out there to drive the financial markets, so you can't be anything but sort of a little bit on the bullish side unless you're really worried about valuation, which of course I have become, but nevertheless, it's just a lot of liquidity. At some point, Catherine, uh, the, your, your, your question implies that we're gonna to have to do something about that, uh, that we can't have that level of, of liquidity. We've never seen it before. And that of course means at some point, not now, the Federal Reserve's clearly telling you not now and probably not in 2022, they're gonna to have to start to raise interest rates or to reduce the levels of liquidity out there. Otherwise, we're all gonna be wrong and it's not gonna be transitory inflation. Then it's gonna be higher inflation, higher interest rates and real problems. And why is it though that there's so much liquidity or money supply out there? Is it because we've been printing money since the financial crisis? It's, it's totally stimulus, it's public policy. It's the Federal Reserve getting on board, making enormous number of loans, uh, lending, which has led to uh, an increase in bank lending and also a, a tremendous amount of liquidity in the hands of, of, of individuals and corporations. So it's the Federal Reserve, but it's also way at the top of the list. The amount of um, money that's been uh, part of the, the federal government stimulus. 
Uh, we saw a lot of money, uh, $900 billion in, in December. Uh, then we saw $1.9 trillion in March. Uh, we don't know uh, what's going to come out of this infrastructure uh, package or bill. Uh, it may be neutralized by tax increases, but it may not be, in which case we're talking about even more money. There's a lot of money out there. And that money is driving both the stock market and the economy. And right now, the Federal Reserve feels very comfortable with it, but we'll see. And then the real key component here, the key, key variable, will be that inflation numbers. And I hope I'm right. I'm hoping that it is transitory. I'm hoping the Federal Reserve is right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because it's not just the Federal Reserve, it's every central banker in the world, essentially, uh, that has been pumping and printing money into the system. Um, you know, in my conversations with people like yourself and other very sophisticated, savvy investors, their biggest concern is that we will get a uh, sovereign debt crisis. The next big crisis will be that, not perhaps a number of years, but where's that on your radar? Yeah, I wish it were more on the top of my radar and not somewhere in the middle of my radar, because you got to ask that question. You know, what, at what point in time do we start to uh, debase uh, currencies and, uh, and sovereign debt. Um, you know, uh, we're headed in that, we may be headed in that direction. I, I think it's too early, Catherine, to worry about that. You've got to watch it pretty carefully, but I, I just think it's a little bit early uh, to be worried about it. Something to keep on the radar screen, but that's about it. Fair, fair point. And in, in terms of um, debasing currencies, what does that really mean? What does it look like? Well, it really means that you debase a currency when you start to increase the money supply. That's part of the equation. Increase the money supply to, a, to, a, to an extent that what the value of the currency starts to go, to go down. Uh, that, quite frankly, when you see your own currency, the dollar, for example, decline mm-hmm. very significantly because people don't have any confidence that it's going to hold together. Well, when it goes down, that invariably leads to, I shouldn't say invariably, but often leads to very high rates of inflation and very high interest rates and real problems for the economy. We've seen that frequently in financial market history and economic and financial market history. You can go back to the early 20s, but there are lots of other periods where we've debased a currency because we really inflated the currency, inflated the uh, the economy way, way, way too much. And that, that's really hurt the currency and eventually hurt the economy. Economies don't do well when that happens. And you just look around the world, look at Argentina mm-hmm. and all the problems they've had. I go back, we don't want to talk about 1890 yeah. Argentina, but <laughs> believe me, they, the examples are really pretty incredible. Uh, why, yeah. why that mistake continues to get made over and over again. Well, and I guess two currencies um, and economies and markets are a relative game. So, you know, in some ways, if everybody in the world is doing it, and of course, that never makes anything right. But um, but, you know, it's a relative game in terms of is the United States still at the top of the list uh, in terms of the, the strength of the U.S. dollar versus other currencies. But but my question in part in terms of the debasing debasement was, um, you know, leading to the next question, which is. Um, the rise of cryptocurrencies and digital assets. And where, where do you stand these days on that, Hugh? Um, I, I'm not a big fan of cryptocurrencies. Um, I've tried to make the case for various cryptocurrencies. Uh, you know, when you get um, irrational speculation, it often invites, and I think this will be no exception, it often invites rational regulation 
Uh, you, you know, unless we get to the point where cryptocurrencies, whether it's Bitcoin or Ether or, or whatever, starts to become accepted as legal tender uh, on a broad-based basis, uh, it's not gonna. It's not gonna be able to give it any real value. Uh, and if uh, you can't give it any real value, that makes it pure and simple. It's one thing. It's speculative. And I have a very hard time saying, here are the fundamentals that justify the moves we've seen in cryptocurrencies. And I can't find them. So I think central banks throughout the world, you know, they're, they're, blockchain is a really exciting and good and solid and promising technology. But that doesn't mean cryptocurrencies are a, a solid uh, and have a great future. And I happen to be, um, I wish I knew more about it. I wish I could make the case but I can't make the case <laughs> and I look at it as pure speculation. And I think at some point somebody may get hurt. Okay. Good. Good to get your views. I, you know, it's important to continue to talk about it. And particularly when we do think about the um, currencies and printing of money. I mean, I just think it just, you know, it, it's interesting to watch, to listen to the U S federal reserve and then watch cryptocurrencies. I mean, in, in terms of the, the reaction and the moves, it's pretty amazing. You know, yeah, you're right, Catherine. And how can the Federal Reserve sit patient? Well, now they're sitting patiently by and studying it very carefully because they didn't want to be moved too quickly or too hastily. Um, but can you imagine uh, just accepting the fact? And it's, it's look, Bitcoin, they say, is a, there's a limited supply. Well, fine, there's a lot of other cryptocurrencies. And if you increase the number of cryptocurrencies, whether they're accepted as legal tender, whether you can pay for a Tesla or not, is irrelevant. What I'm saying, if you, you simply accept the growth rate of those currencies uh, and you're a central banker, you're going to say, I feel very uncomfortable with that. I don't want somebody else or this process to control the level of currency uh, in the system. And they're not going to mm -hmm. accept it. Mm -hmm. um, Hugh, just sitting back for a moment and, and thinking about what we've talked about today in terms of we are in a bull market for the next couple of months as the market tries to figure out whether the Fed's got control of the inflation picture, and whether or not it's transitory, we could see some continued volatility, but we are in a bull market and the economy is strong. With that being said, um, what stocks do you either want to buy today or are on your list and you'll buy when we do get that pullback? Well, I'd say, first of all, I mentioned consumer discretionary stocks, and I think that's a good place to start. Uh, there are stocks uh, like Lowe's. There are stocks like Disney. Uh, I know Disney's certainly right at the top of the list of controversial names. Uh, but nevertheless, you're getting a decline in Disney from levels that were arguably a little bit pricier overvalued. Uh, want, I've wanted to see that for a long time, so Disney would be one. But then we go on to the technology sector. I wish, uh, I wish I had, Catherine, a nickel for every time somebody told me, oh, Apple, you've had too good, the performance has been too good, sell it, cut it back. I haven't done that. And I thank <laughs> my lucky stars that I have not done that. I've held on to Apple. And as you know, it's performed extremely well. There's other companies, Checkpoint Systems, I mentioned, which is a pretty, pretty darn good company in the cybersecurity business, uh, software for, for lots of different companies. Those are two technology names, which uh, I would certainly mention. Uh, you know, I know that everybody gets a little scared when you mention things like Alphabet or when you mention things like Facebook. We own those in our portfolios. NVIDIA, another one, a technology stock we own in our portfolios. 
I own personally, and we own them in all our portfolios. But, uh, you know, so there are lots of companies like that. And they had big moves to the upside. And now they're getting a little bit of a, a hammering to the downside to levels, which make a little bit more sense. So uh, we look at this more as, a, as an opportunity. I would only say one thing, you know, given the levels of uncertainty, the moves up in those stocks and the levels of uncertainty, when you buy these things, it's not a bad idea to buy some now, sort of dollar cost average your way in. I'm sure you know all about this, but dollar cost average your way in. And that means buy some now, buy some in a month, maybe buy some in two months, be very disciplined about it. And, and when you saw NVIDIA hit those new highs, and as you say, it has pulled back, did you trim at all? What do you no. do in those positions? You didn't, you just no, ride we it didn't. No, we didn't, Catherine. And you know something, it, it, it's, a, it's a great problem to have. I mean, it's one of those problems. We've got, and I, I'm not bragging. I mean, we've got, we don't have many companies that have not done well because there aren't many companies that have not done well. <laughs> But NVIDIA, the, the profits, the capital gains, it, it really creates a problem. Uh, uh, our investors are sitting there scratching their head and they're saying, look, we got big gains in these things. I don't want to sell and pay a big capital gains tax. I'm worried about what we're seeing ahead it's with regard to capital gains taxes. They look like they're maybe going up. I get asked the question every day, are they going to be retroactive? I don't know the answer to that question. I'm asking, but I don't know the answer. And so it creates a, a real problem. Uh, and NVIDIA is a perfect example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. I mean, it's, it's a great problem to have, as, as you say. And I guess you just have to continue to believe or understand what the company fundamentals are yeah. and where they'll be two to five years out if you're going to kind of ride them at the high. You really do. You have to, you have to stay with them. We don't add, we're not adding, and I, I wish I had an answer to selling a stock without taking capital gains, <laughs> unless it's a non-taxable account, of course, then you can do it. But. And um, Hugh, I just want to follow up on one more stock that you mentioned. So Disney, um, they, this stock was under pressure last week because they missed on their um, Disney Plus subscriber numbers. So... You know, I've been thinking about the stock myself over the past couple of days since this happened, and whether or not Disney Plus, which got so much excitement in the stock and a fundamental front, um, is, is really going to be able to carry the day. Because if it's not, that's going to have a readjustment aspect for a lot of viewers or a lot of investors who, who are buying it on that, in addition to everything else. Very, very tough story. Uh, I have a lot of confidence in Disney. It's worked for me for years and years. Um, and there have been periods like this. And, and it's interesting because a lot of those periods have been associated with real declines in the economy. So this is not just about streaming. This is also about theme parks. This is all about um, uh, television. Uh, this is all about the entertainment business. And um, yeah, I've seen this happen before. I've seen empty parking lots at theme parks. Mm. And that's usually been a sign or sign to some that it's a time to sell, to get out of Disney, to go for the, to, 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 to leave Disney. Uh, invariably, my, uh, my um, experience has been, Catherine, that that's usually a time to start thinking about buying it. Uh, empty parking lots equal a time to probably start to buy it or empty streaming or whatever it is, subscribers, mm -hmm. not subscribers, same idea. So I'm crossing my fingers. I think Disney's a great place. I think they're very creative. I don't worry when they miss on the subscriber number. 
a little bit. Uh, if this was to continue for three or four quarters, you know, they're in a very competitive business. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe I'd be concerned, but not not yet. I, I think I'm looking at more as, as a positive story. Um, one other follow-up, though, that I, I want to ask you about is when you think about the certain sectors that will do well in a bullish market, you did mention materials as well as industrials. Uh, for any Canadian viewers, I've got U.S. ones as well, but you, people need to be aware that in the United States, the materials sector has so many subsectors or industries. So what specifically are you interested in there? Well, um, you know, it, I don't think it's anything in particular. I think it's chemicals. Uh, there's a lot of copper. There's a lot of lumber. There's a lot of, now there's also gold, which we could talk about, all within the material sector. I think it's more a, um, it's just a, uh, you know, if we, if, we, if we start to move up a little bit in both commodity prices, which we've certainly seen, and a little bit in the rate of inflation, that's one of the, it's a very small sector. It's only 3% of the market. Uh, then it might not be a bad thing to have some materials in there. I think I'm kind of doing it uh, almost in an offhand way saying, you know, that's that story about we want to have some diversification in case we're wrong on the inflation story. And one of the ways to get diversification if you're wrong on the inflation story is to buy some materials. Within the materials sector, if that's the way you believe or if you're convinced of that, I hate to say it, but you might buy gold. And we've seen gold on a relative basis perform pretty well in the last couple of weeks, all in response to those worries about inflation. So that's something you can think about. Gold, materials, very small part of a portfolio, and as a hedge, if you're wrong on the inflation story. Okay, got it. Um, Hugh, we will wrap it up there. And I guess just bottom line, your your main message to, to listeners, to viewers, is, is what as it relates to the next... I don't know, 12 months. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 is we go through a little bit of a correction or a decline in stock prices that should lo be looked upon as an opportunity. And the one thing that I would say to every investor is don't lose heart. You know, this has been 14 months in this bull markets and bull markets don't end at the 14 month mark. You never know, but I cross my fingers and I would say that basic message is we have further to go in this bull market Returns might not be as great as they've been, but they're going to be positive and certainly beat bonds. Okay, certainly beat bonds. All right, Hugh, great to see you. Thanks so much. You're um, welcome. You're for welcome. For being with me. Thank you. It's, it's indeed again. a pleasure. So thank, thank you. you.